0: I mean, what a contrast between the prayer of the false prophets that lasts for six hours and this man of God whose prayer lasts for about six seconds.
1: Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible-teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in a mini-series looking at the life of the prophet Elijah, whose account is found in 1st and 2nd Kings. We're in chapter 18 of 1st Kings looking at one of the most exciting displays of God's power as Elijah confronts 850 prophets of Baal and provides the people of Israel a witness of the one true God. As we pick up, the prophets of Baal have spent all day, to no avail, calling on their God to set on fire a huge pile of wood. Now, Elijah instructs that water be repeatedly poured out on the wood before he calls on the one true God. Let's read from verse 35.
0: The water flowed around the altar, and it also filled the trench with the water. It was as if Elijah is trying to put some obstacles in the way of God because his faith is so great. He was saying, God, I want these people to see just how great you are. And I can picture him at this point telling the people to be careful to get out of the way. Notice verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel... Today, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Please underscore that in your Bible, at your word. Here is a man who's praying a biblical prayer in accordance to the word of God. And like Elijah of old, we too must plead the promises of God. We must know what God has said so that we can pray biblically. I've done all these things at your word. Now he lived in a time when prophets were direct conduits of revelation. And God had showed him specifically what it was that he was to believe and ask for. And while God does no longer speak directly to people, contrary to Beth Moore and Sarah Young and all these people who are getting these direct revelations and text messages from God, God does not do that. That's sheer heresy, and every cult is built on that kind of heresy. Some extra dream revelation, something beyond Scripture, but God still speaks just as clear, and he speaks through his written word, You should put out on the margin next to this verse, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we have asked, then we know that we have the request we have asked from him. If you have a promise, from God to stand on, then all things being equal, you can, with the same expectation, look and believe God to listen and answer that prayer. That's not presumption. That's faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so Elijah's prayer is in in accordance with God's word. He says in verse 37, Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord our God, and that you have turned their heart back again. I mean, what a contrast between the prayer of the false prophets that lasts for six hours and this man of God whose prayer lasts for about six seconds. It was simple, but it's characterized by one ingredient, It's faith based on the word of God. It's not frantic like the prophets of Baal. He doesn't need to be. He prays and as verse 38 indicates the fire falls, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones. I went camping a lot when I was a child with the Boy Scouts and we consumed the food but the fire never did unless we burned it a little bit. And there was always coals from the wood, but I promise you the stones were never kindling. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering in the wood and the stones and the dust. Usually when you burn something, there's dust and ash. But this fire was so hot, it consumed the dust and the ash. And we read the fire, notice, licked up the water that was in the trench. The water could not put the fire out, but the fire put the water out. It evaporated every single drop. Elijah prayed for fire to come down from heaven to light the wood, and God does more than that. He consumes it all, and it's a reminder to me of what the Apostle Paul said in the New Testament, that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think that God can not only answer your prayer, but very often when he answers it, he answers it far beyond your expectations if you only believe as Elijah did. Now there are hindrances to prayer. Psalm sixty-six eighteen 18 says, if I regard iniquity, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Not if I sin, but if I hold onto it, if I cling onto it, if I regard it, if I claim it, God won't hear. We take some of these scriptures that speak about God not hearing prayer, and all the scriptures in the Bible of God not hearing prayer is always in reference to the believer, never to the unbeliever. Now, there are no promises for the unbeliever to claim that God will respond to his prayer, except for the prayer and calling on the name of the Lord to be saved, though God on occasion does answer the prayers of unbelievers in the scriptures, and we could cite many examples. But he promises to answer only the prayers of his people. And so God responds to the Christian who doesn't live on a spiritual fence. There's no compromise, no straddling. But you're able to exercise the courage of your convictions because your heart is clean and clear. And the final analysis, prayer is our most effective tool. When it came down to the wire where Baal has failed, God's greatest work through Elijah comes in response to prayer. And as I thought about it this week, anything God has ever done great for his glory in my life, it has always, always without exception been done in response to prayer. You know, when all else fails, read the instructions. And sometimes it's not until everything fails that we go and try prayer. I mean, do you pray? I didn't ask, do you listen to your pastor's prayer? I didn't ask, do you listen to your parents' prayer? I didn't ask, do you have a good Bible study on prayer? I didn't ask, have you read a good book on prayer? But do you pray? Can you pinpoint in the last 168 hours during this past week where a few places for maybe just two or three minutes you prayed. Now that was the challenge and the contest. Now comes in verses 39 and 40 the consequences. Two consequences occur, the same two consequences that will occur when Jesus comes again. Salvation for some, judgment for others. Now notice how the people who had been riding the spiritual fence, how they respond in faith here in verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. In the morning, it was Baal worship that had prevailed. But at the end of the day, it's Jehovah worship that is supreme God answered the prayer not just by bringing fire down from heaven, but turning the hearts of the people to be back on fire for him. But there's also a drastic word here for the worshipers of Baal. Look at verse 40. Then Elijah said to them, The sons of Israel, seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Some of you have been with me on the top of Mount Carmel where this great challenge and showdown took place. And you can look just down at the hill and see the brook Kishon. And so when the fire fell from heaven, these false prophets, they didn't fall down on their face and say, oh, we were wrong! God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he's the one true God! Oh, these are true apostates. They were confirmed in their unbelief. Now, some may think that the direction that God gave to Elijah was extreme. But understand, there's a malignancy in the nation. You've got these wicked priests, these wicked preachers, and they're not just practicing; they are promoting sheer idolatry, and they are engaging people in the most degrading of all sins: vile immorality and child sacrifice. And so Elijah, he's not living in a republic like we are. He is living in a theocracy. And there's only been one true theocracy in the history of the world, and it was between God and Israel. But in 21st century terminology, it would be like saying, the church and the state are one. But Elijah is just carrying out the command of what Moses wrote, put it in the margin, Deuteronomy 13, verse 5, that those who woo Israel into the worship of a false god will forfeit their lives. Let me read it to you. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you. So you shall purge the evil from among you. Now too often the critics, and sometimes even Christians, read verse 40 and they go into moral hysterics. But we don't understand that God is a God of justice and righteousness and holiness and he's against apostasy, and apostasy is a big deal to God because God loves people, and he loves the souls of people, and God knows that people are going to spend an eternity either in heaven or hell. And so it's our lack of understanding of who God is and what God has revealed that lead people into this moral hysteria. By the way, Paul in the New Testament in Galatians chapter one He's concerned about those false teachers who had come into the church, who had changed the message, who had presented, quote-unquote, another gospel, a heteros gospel, a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Because they had added to the work of the Messiah, they said, Jesus' death and resurrection, we don't deny it, but it's not enough. We have to add something to it. That's Roman Catholicism in a nutshell. It's a Jesus plus plan, and that's liberal Protestantism if they even bring Jesus into the equation. So he gives a double curse in the book of Galatians. Let me read it to you. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be a curse. The word is anathema. It means eternally condemned. He is writing this under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. Today it might be baptism, confirmation, church membership, always something beyond Jesus. Then he adds, as we've said before. So I say again now if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. And so the critics read a verse like this, and they say, where's Paul's love that he would ask for a double curse upon those who spread a false gospel? Why is he so harsh? Because he was for souls. And he knew that false gospels only land people in a place of eternal retribution. And so he will say in the fifth chapter, to those who will add even circumcision in 512, I wish that those who are troubling you, these false teachers, would even mutilate themselves. He's saying if you're a false teacher and you want to make the right of circumcision so critical to salvation, why don't you just go all the way? And so here in 1 Kings, Elijah, like a spiritual surgeon, he wants to remove the religious cancer from the land. God doesn't use breath mints to deal with cancer. He uses surgery. And there's a malignancy in the nation, and you can't leave a single cell of that malignancy. It must be rooted out. Now, as we conclude, we need to ask a question. What kind of a man, what kind of a woman, what kind of a teenager, what kind of a boy, what kind of a girl can God use? Well, there are several characteristics that jump into the forefront of my mind from these pages of Scripture. Number one, by way of application, God uses a person who is sold out to Jesus Christ. It's clear that God uses a person who doesn't straddle the spiritual fence, but who's sold out to Christ. Humanly speaking, obviously, the odds are stacked. But because he's in the center of God's will, he could stand fast. The odds are 850 to 1, There are 850 to one plus God. And I hasten to say that the significance was not in the one, but in the plus God. The one who controls Elijah the prophet, he knew that one plus God constitutes a majority. You may feel like you're outnumbered at school or the place you work. The place where God has called you to live, the apartment complex, the battalion, the neighborhood in which you are in as a believer. But the question is never in Scripture how many. The question is always what kind of a believer are you? When you study the book of Acts, you see they were able to turn the world upside down and Jesus had made the promise there on that mountain in Galilee, "Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The early church, they were just a handful of people. They didn't have all of the mechanics and all the bells and whistles that we have today, but they accomplished so much more because they believed in the power and the preaching of God's Word. Someone wrote me and they said, you should shorten your sermons because People will listen to you, and they won't sit through an hour. I'm not going after those people. That's a worldly technique. I believe in the power and the authority of God's Word to change lives. And if a person can sit three hours through a football game, they ought to be able to sit an hour and a half through a worship service. People sometimes will say, but pastor, I'm only one person. That's never the issue. It's not what can I do, but what can God do? You may be a lone ranger where you are, and you may be overwhelmed by the size of the opposition. But like Daniel says, the people who know their God exhibit strength. Our problem is we have a warped, distorted picture of the infinite God, but when I am sold out and clean and walking in purity before God like Elijah was, then God can work in any situation. But there's a second principle I want you to see, and it is this, God uses a man or a woman of faith. One of the characteristics that marks a man or a woman of faith is not that they are problem-oriented, but potential-oriented. And I'm sure he could have wrung his hands and thought, man, things are rough. Look at all these Baal worshipers. They got 850 prophets. I alone seem to be left. All the other prophets are hiding in a cave. And there's a lot of Christians who spend their whole time focusing on the problems. You know as soon as you meet them, they're going to come up and start whining to you. But problems are just circumstances where we have chosen not to believe that God is able, that God is sovereign, that his providence extends to every detail of life. They can be possibilities. Remember in Numbers 13, when the children of Israel come to that place, Kadesh Barnea, and they need to make a decision. God had promised I will give you this land. These were wicked, evil. They didn't steal the land. These were people who were killing little babies. God says, I want you to go into the land and take it. So Moses, of course, sends in 12 spies not to see if they could take the land for God had promised it, but how? And so there's this balance between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And Joshua and Caleb come back with the minority report. They come back and say, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. They believe that God is able to perform that which he has promised. But then there is the majority report, the other 10 who also spied out the land. And their testimony was, we went into the land where you sent us. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit, nevertheless. The people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. We are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. The land through which we have gone is so... spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size and then they add and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight what was the difference did not Joshua and Caleb see the same fortified cities and the same enormous people yes they did but they saw more than that they saw the living God and the promise he had made So what do you see this morning? See, your faith is like a muscle, and it grows as you exercise it, and you exercise it as you obey what God has said, and as you obey what you know, you will grow. These were people, Joshua and Caleb, who are available to the will of God, and I would just ask, are you like Elijah, available to God's will? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, it is required of a steward that one be found faithful. It's required of a steward that one be found faithful. Not handsome, not famous, not gifted, not wealthy, not articulate, not funny, not brilliant, but faithful. You say, Pastor Carl, I don't have all that much. My friend, you have all that God intended for you to have. You can do anything that God wants you to do if your heart is fully devoted to him. And the more I study this guy, Elijah, the more I am struck with what the Apostle James said in James five, he is a man of like passion with a nature just like ours. He was an ordinary man who lived an extraordinary life. And so when God looks for a servant, he may look for a servant who is living in a wicked, depraved generation much like ours but a servant who is willing to choose and to believe God. Listen, it was during this time, these dark days in Israel's history that the chronicler would write, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. God is still looking for clean people that he can use in a dirty world. It was C.T. Studd, the medical doctor turned missionary to Africa who repeatedly says, said the world has yet to see what God will do through a man completely yielded to him. When D.L. Moody read that statement, he said, oh God, let me be that man. And God is still searching for people who are completely his. If God were to look into the hearts of all those who are live streaming and listening, wherever you may be today, Could he say, that person's heart, your heart is completely mine. You have the kind of commitment to the Lord God that I can use. And let me tell you, if your Christianity has not put that kind of steel and availability into your bones, then there's something wrong with your Christianity. God is not looking for people who just blend in with the world. That's what the church growth movement is. Let's blend in with the world. Let's give them what they want because we'll fill the place, yes, with false conversions. Oh God, let me be that man. God will say through James that friendship with the world is spiritual adultery. And so God gave a supernatural demonstration of his power on this day. And while he may not bring fire down from heaven, he can put the fire of God the Holy Spirit in your heart if you're yielded to him. Now if you remember on Shavuot, or what we call Shavuot, or the day of Pentecost, the critics, when they saw the miracle working power of God, they said, what does this mean? And because they asked the question, what does this mean, they went on to ask a question, brethren, what must we do? Our problem is, is that we want people to ask, brethren, what must we do, before they are able to ask, what does this mean? See, our life should be so distinctively different, and so distinctively clean, that when the word of God is spoken through our lips, it comes out in a fashion that is alive and convicting, where we say, brethren, what must we do? Now these Israelites got the message that day, and what took place on that altar was a rebuke to their unbelief, but it was also an invitation to get right with God. What took place there on the top of Mount Carmel only proved that God is great, but also that God is gracious and God is just. But on a different altar, on an altar called Golgotha, God didn't send fire down, God himself left heaven and came down, for a child will be born and the child's name will be called Mighty God. And that child, as Isaiah said, will be pierced through for our iniquities. And what God did on Golgotha was a rebuke for his holy hatred of sin, The real, true God stood up on Mount Carmel, but he came down on Golgotha, and he provided a way of escape. And there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which you can be saved. And unless you come to God through Christ, your fate will be the fate of these false prophets. Now, our Holy Father, we thank you for your word, a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. I pray today for some man, some woman, some teenager, some young man or girl who wants to be saved. Help them to know that they can be saved. You said today is the day of salvation that if they will call upon Jesus right now, he will save them and forgive them for all of eternity. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't partially, but you completely paid for our sin. May our lives be characterized by purity and holiness, that we might be clean vessels that you can use to your own honor and glory. And we ask it in Jesus' holy name.
1: To listen again to today's exciting message entitled The Great Showdown from our study of the prophet Elijah use the Search the Scriptures app or visit online at searchthescriptures.org You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program ELI3 And when you contact us don't forget that Search the Scriptures is a listener-supported ministry. We are able to be heard on radio stations and around the world on the Internet, and our resources are made available through the generosity of listeners like you. If you can help with a one-time gift or by becoming an STS supporter, click the Give button on the STS app or at our website, searchthescriptures.org. Thank you. Tomorrow we begin a look at Elijah the Prayer Warrior. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.